All right. Welcome back to the IT Kit Podcast. Uh, today, I'm your co-host, Tim Burke, IT Evangelist at Spoke. And we've gotten some listener feedback that they really don't know a lot about myself, and they don't know a lot about uh, my other co-host. And so today, I'm joined by the co-host of the podcast, Manuel Bernal, um, head of IT at Greylock Partners. And uh, we're going to do something different today, and I get to interview Manuel. So you guys get to learn a little bit about uh, one of our favorite co-hosts. So, Manuel, of course, we always ask this first. First computer. First computer. Uh, so I know this vividly, but I, it always kind of, uh, um, I say it with pride, but also kind of go like, wow, it kind of shows my age. Um, <clears throat> so it was a Radio Shack Tandy TRS-80. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is way back. Um, I'm not going to even try to remember the year. And uh, I remember my father was very much into gadgets and uh, went to the local mall. And and Radio Shack was one of my favorite places to go and just kind of like look around. Um, Noticed uh, the computer, the TRS-80. And uh, I think a few months later, my father ends up purchasing it and bringing it home. And from that point on, I was just fascinated by it. Wow, that's that's awesome. That that Mm -hmm. brings me back a little bit. So yeah. how did how did you actually get into technology? Did you study it in school? Was it always a passion? Mm-hmm. Um, good question, and uh, so it's going to be a little bit of a long-winded question, but I think that um, it, it's really interesting because I kind of took a, a path that uh, was a little bit different than, than others. So again, piggybacking on top of the TRS-80, I just immediately started messing around with it, buying like extra equipment. Back in the day, back then, um, we actually had tape cassettes that would actually load programs on there. Uh, I remember like the first program I loaded on there was uh, chess and I uh, just loved to like, you know, <laughs> the graphics back there were really weren't graphics, just blocks. But like, I really just got intrigued by it. And over time, because it's really my father was into gadgets, he kept on bringing on other computers. He brought in a, a IBM PC Junior. He would bring in like, uh, you know, again, a, a IBM 286. Um, anyway, we could go on and on, but what would end up happening was I kept messing with them and I kept breaking them and to get myself out of trouble, I'd have to fix them. And, um, so it just, I think it was something that for me was very, um, I just at an early age, um, wasn't intimidated by them and was really fascinated by them. Um, but never saw them as really, um, as a career path, if you will. So, um, uh, kind of fast forward, kind of out of high school, um, not necessarily sure about what I want to, uh, you know, do. And uh, father was in construction, started with that, and um, went down that road. Again, found myself doing a lot of uh, Excel work, or if something happened to the computers at work, they would tend to call me over, and I'd say, like, hey, let me take a look at it. I could bang on it and make you're, it work again. You were the unofficial IT guy already. Right. And and uh, this is back when they're not even they're not even networked. They're just standalone. You know, I think it was like, you know, Lotus 1, 2, 3, that oh, type yeah, of stuff yeah, going yeah. on. So, um, but again, you know, and then as time went on, I kept on becoming fascinated with it, and uh one day, I was laid off, and uh, my um, sister had worked at uh, Franklin Templeton in uh, San Mateo and said, hey, we need some folks that help with computers, and would you be interested in doing it? And I, as a matter of fact, I fought, and I was like, I don't need anybody's help. I'll figure out my life like by myself and you know, just kind of beat my, my chest. And uh, mom said, like, no, you're actually going to go, and so you got to listen to mom. Ended up going, and um, the first day on the job, it was a, an epiphany. Like literally went in. Really? And it was, it, I remember um, meeting a few people and they were saying like, hey, what, we're, what we do is we take orders and we actually build the computers in the shop and we deliver them to the departments. And literally um, within an hour, 
I just knew I was like, oh, like a light bulb went off. And just, I realized like, I'd never saw this as my path, but that it, that was the moment where I knew like, oh, I could do this for a living. Like I could do this, this is work. Um, yeah. So that kind of launched my career. That, that must've been a really fantastic moment. It, it was. I mean, it's, it's, I can't, I mean, there's only a few other moments in my life where like, uh, you, you can recognize a moment like where like, wow, yeah. this is it. And part of it was like, I'm amazed. Um, part of it is disappointed in myself. Like, why didn't I see this <laughs> coming a long time ago? But I'll just kind of blame that on youth. Ah, uh-huh, the follies of youth. I know. So tell us a little bit more than, you know, f- past the first job, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of how you started moving up through technology. Right. So um, kind of continuing on with the um, Franklin Templeton, you know, again, just started on the like, you know, the uh, support level helped us. They would call in, you know, uh, um, request for help. We drive a ticket, go down there and I'd talk with the folks and work with them. And uh, did that for about two and a half years. And again, just gained tons of experience as far as like really just building computers and hardware troubleshooting. Um, and uh, I remember towards the end that we started networking many of the computers uh, at Franklin. And um, I mean, this is like token ring type of stuff back then. Yeah. And um, got to meet a lot of people like that I got to learn from. And one of them in particular, his name was Chris. He ended up moving to uh, to another job at Franklin. I'm sorry, at um, Schwab Funds in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, just it's an, a, an affiliation to Schwab itself, but it's kind of manages their money market funds, what have you. And um, uh, after a few months, he said, "Hey, there's another position open in a department here. Would you like to join?" And I did. So from there, it was a great another stepping stone. So now I'm in a like a financial another financial firm, but this was much more kind of like a trading desk type of environment, a little okay. bit more high stake. Mm-hmm. And continued to do more of the the daily support, the walk up. You know, I think I was really comfortable with um, dealing with people and asking questions and um, being able to um, make them comfortable, letting me know what was going on. Um, and uh, you know, all the while, um, you know, really was excited. Even to this day, I still get excited if or or I'm motivated by the fact that like if I could go help somebody and get their allow them to get their job done, um, it always motivates me. And so that's kind of where I really kind of built upon, upon that. And it gave me, it fed that, that, that motivation. Um, so I did that for probably about, let's say three years. And again, continue to learn more about token ring. Now it was moving into ethernet type mm-hmm. of stuff. So it was great. As a matter of fact, what I do, what I do recall from that, that was pretty interesting was that back then, again, it's going to show age and hopefully some of our listeners will be like, oh yeah, I, you know, I know what you're talking about. Back then, it was Novell. Novell was kind of like the, yeah, the yeah, premier yeah. operating system. And so I believe I got my certification, like a, a CNA or CNE, and uh, you know, really kind of got into the networking. And it was perfect for me, right? I, I put in a few years within like help desk and then kind of like, you know, moved up the ranks as far as like being um, kind of the tier two, tier three, and then kind of to more of the networking stuff. And um, right before I left, that's when Windows NT 3.1, I believe, or... 351 or something came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, again, I remember that, that moment as well. And, um, you know, very interesting. And I think most people within technology uh, could relate to sometimes you become an expert in something in a technology and you know it back and forth like I did with Novell. And then literally over th- three or four months, it becomes obsolete in a way. And you're moving to a new platform, which was Windows. So so first off, why, why the first startup? And tell me just a, a little bit about it. About Connectify? Um, yeah. Yep. So Connectify, again, was one in which uh, back at this, the job that I had at, at the Gap, and uh, it said, like, I, I need to find something else. They actually ended up placing me at Connectify, and it was in San Mateo at the time. 
And uh, it was, I remember walking in and uh, just feeling the, the energy. It was a small, a small team. It was a startup back when like nobody really knew what a startup was. It was like 1998, I believe. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, and uh, met with uh, a gentleman named Joseph Ancinelli, um, who's one of our venture partners and now at, at Greylock. And that's how I kind of got into this field and, and within startups. So work with him for, uh, with, the, with the company for a few months. And then they decided, hey, we're going to bring you on full time. And from there, that was the, the dot-com boom. I mean, that's when like, we're talking about Webman and Pets.com and, you know, all the like the real big uh, first uh, um, uh, explosion within like kind of Internet and what have you and web. So you got to ride the the Web 1.0 boom as an IT guy. Yeah. And it was really interesting. So and it, it was a really interesting because as I'm reminiscing, it was kind of like the highs and lows. And it was a really great experience. I mean, so uh, essentially joined the company. We then get acquired by another company uh, called Kana, and then they, I think, acquired two other companies. And it was this is was normal back then. I mean, like high valuations, and they were just sitting there purchasing and kind of like you know consolidating all these these companies, you know, to come out with a like a suite. For us, it was like a suite of uh, call center type of um, software. Okay. And um, yeah, so again, here I am. I'm mixed in with like a new technology team. It's a you know we go from maybe like 50 people to suddenly like within a year it felt like we were like close to a thousand. I mean, it was explosive growth. And uh, you can imagine, like, just a lot of of uh, lessons learned there. Like, you know, what is it? You know, back, you know, no, back then there were really no kind of like discussions around like, you know, automation or uh, being able to kind of onboard so quickly. And um, it was really just kind of like making sure that you could order all the equipment and then, you know, really rolling up the sleeves and kind of building machines and accounts and, and what have you. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, it was a great ride up that roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And then it was a spectacular kind of like dive back down um, again. And uh, it's it's still a, a real good lesson in memory that I have in my mind because like, you know, here we are, like, you know, it was, you know, it was an amazing time for, a, a, seemed like for a good year or so. And then things started, it was, it felt like a slow um, pause in that growth. And mm-hmm. then, then boom, it just kind of happened. It felt like overnight. And here I am where, you know, months earlier I had been setting up accounts and onboarding people uh, building out spaces um, to now kind of collecting laptops, shutting down accounts, and like saying goodbye to people that I considered friends that I'd worked with and such. Um, yeah, even to this day, whenever I see like an Arion chair, like a Herman Millen Arion chair, I'm like, oh, we're we're getting too big, like because that to me always reminds me. This symbolizes like you know the excess. Like at the time, we're like we're not making any money. Like back then, most people could have said, or any companies could have said, like. We don't have, we're making, we have revenue, but we're not really profitable. We don't really have a plan to profitability, but yet we're like buying, you know, um, all the fancy things, all the shiny things. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're not profitable, but you can spend a thousand dollars on a desk chair. Right. That brings up some questions. Right. Back then I have to, I mean, I was one that was, um, I guess blinded by that as well. Like I really was thought like, this is great. There's no end to this. It's going to be, you know, puppies, flowers, kittens. This is all good. And uh, yeah, it, it didn't turn out that way. And although although it was a bad, um, that experience, both good and bad, like it was a great experience like to know because, you know, what I found is over time, like that that happens. And like, um, I think it was one of my first lessons in which after I got laid off there, I even eventually yeah. I got laid off. Um, I saw the importance for me personally to say like, wow, I, I see for me the value of being in one. I love to be at a startup. I love the idea about, helping build something, right? Whether it's like technology or technology organizations, 
or building culture within a company. Mm-hmm. Like I really enjoy that and just kind of seeing things prosper and, and grow. And like, yeah, you have your challenges and stuff like that. But I think that was a moment where I understood that that's kind of the industry or the location that I want to like align myself with in technology, you know? So, um, but a good, again, just good life lessons as far as like, you know, just, uh, recognizing that, um, things are cyclical, they could be good and then they'll go bad. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, uh, the other thing I really, another important lesson was for me at least was understanding that my value comes from being good at many things and not being great at a few things, if that makes sense. So I try to, my, my technical knowledge, I always kind of consider myself to have like a broad understanding of a lot of things, not too deep, but just mm-hmm. like broad enough. But, um, you know, when I got laid off, I basically became, I believe the next um, startup I went to and survived basically, because a lot of us were surviving was, I was like an exchange administrator, you know, and back at, at my the previous company, like that was one of the roles that I, I held. And, you know, did I work on it day, daily? No. But at that time, I had, uh, you know, um, my family was started and yeah. I was like, I need to work. And that that skill of me being able to say, like, you know, I know it enough and I will figure it out quickly and, you know, become that expert that you need. Well, those are the fundamental IT skills that I find, right, of you end up being that stereotypical Swiss Army knife that you're you're capable of almost everything, but not super fantastic at any one thing. But then if you need to transform, you can transform, right? Yep. Yep. I agree. And I think in the end, like, and I could go on and, and, and kind of look back at my career and say, like, that has always served me well. And in different ways, I think that now, like, you know, going through a number of different startups and, and being where I'm at now, mm-hmm. I think what I like about that skill is it, it provides me this one, it's like an understanding of technology itself. So when, when, even if it's a new technology, new technology doesn't scare me or making a change doesn't scare me because I've seen this enough to know like things change. It's just a matter of me kind of talking to the people who are knowledgeable about it or, um, you know, now like, you know, just being able to just like Google it, you know, and you could figure out or learn about something pretty quickly and not being intimidated by that. Cause I've seen a lot of colleagues in the past that like they needed to be the experts, even if like Honestly, I've seen a lot of people in a room, they need to be the smartest person in that room. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I would see that happen quite often. And um, even when you knew that it was bullshit, you're just kind of like, okay. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. not having the, you know, not having the confidence in themselves to say like, hey, I don't know this, but could you explain it to me? You know, um, uh, I think that that's been another lesson learned. But, you know, again, having that broad experience of different things, it gives me a... Um, an understanding when new technologies come in, not to be intimidated. It gives me an idea about like how it fits in when I think about technology into like what stack and you know mm-hmm. where the benefit is. And um, I think the other thing too is you know now that like um, been building organizations, I have my own experience. Whether it's people facing, whether it's like client services or help desk, whatever you want to call it, like I've been there and I've kind of I know enough about it and some of the challenges, solutions that work. Same thing for infrastructure. Um, I've been there. I've done that, um, you know, uh, and, and even up to, you know, just kind of management. So, again, it's it's kind of a, like a broad knowledge, but I kind of always uh, have myself kind of navigate where I need to. So, uh, Manuel, I, I love hearing all of that experience about the, the Web 1.0. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I grew up during it. I wasn't working during it. <laughs> As most people um, tell me. So, you know, not to date each other, but, you know, <laughs> we're friends at this point. Right. But um, uh, it must have been really cool working there um, anywhere, really, during that boom. Yep. But fast forward me through 
the 2000s, maybe the early 2010s. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, your succession mm. and then where you got to today. Sure. Yeah. So, um, I, I, again, I think over those, that time frame, there's probably about five different startups, but I'll highlight a couple of them. One of them was, Please. uh, So Von two was one of the, um, so again, t- talk about relationship building and kind of keeping in touch with people. So one of the executive Joseph Anzanelli was, um, uh, you know, part of this, uh, that first, company Kana, and then he went off and he started his um, a new company. And um, while um, I was surviving, he called me one day and said, hey, you know, we're, we're hiring for a new company and it's called Vontu. And, and uh, this was amazing because uh, I was literally, I think one of the first eight employees. We were in one of the oh, founder's wow. houses on Dim- Diamond, <laughs> wow. uh, Diamond Heights. Yeah, and um, yeah, it, it was a fantastic experience because back then again, I remember, I remember this vividly um, where people were like, hey, where are you working? And this is after the dot bomb. Um, mm. I would try to avoid saying startup because, like, everybody's like, I thought they were gone. Like, there's no more startups anymore. Um, but from that experience, uh, we went there and we grew the company from like whatever, like eight of us. And then it, uh, I think it got to about 170 employees. And eventually, after five years, we were purchased by Symantec. And uh, but that experience was really uh, game changing for me because it was this. I was really privileged to be in this experience to see the company grow and see all these departments kind of spring up and um, whether it be marketing, sales, professional services. And I even remember at the time what we would deliver is an appliance, a Dell server, and we would load our software in there. We'd throw it into um, some of these large financial corporations. Mm-hmm. And what it was, it was like a reverse firewall. It would kind of tell you like they we created the category of uh, DLP, the data loss prevention. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, um, but I remember I was, I remember helping set up and shipping out the very first box to uh, a financial firm. So again, just like a taste of like being involved and like really being motivated about like uh, being behind what the company was trying to do and just, just seeing the growths and seeing all the, um, you know, the ups and downs and the learning lessons about like building a, a startup and then, you know, again, being successful in, in, a, in a good um, exit, if you will. Um, and then from there, Went to a couple more startups, but then the the other significant one was uh, Lookout Mobile Security. Mm-hmm. Joined them in 2010, and I was there till 2015 or so. And uh, again, I think it was that one I I, I bring up because there was a number of people that uh, I worked with that Vontu had brought me in as the kind of the founding team. It was like probably one of the first 20 people at the company. Oh, cool. Yeah. So again, after five years, it was really kind of looking at and using my experience from the previous startups and then applying it to this one. So it was pretty neat. It's like, you know, you get to draw a picture and you mess it up and scribble here and there. And then, uh, you know, you, you keep redoing it. And it was kind of felt like that, like now this new startup I'm at, I get to, um, you know, uh, you know, improve on the things that maybe I didn't do as, as well and drew upon a lot of my experience, like whether it be team building, whether it be like technology, um, helping with product feedback and what have you. So did that till like about 2015. And then uh, did a stint at uh, One Medical Group, which is a medical concierge service that started in San Francisco, still around. And uh, and then uh, most recently was at Thumbtack, and uh, was there for about a year before I was called um, uh, by Joseph at uh, at Greylock and says, "Hey, there's an opening here. You know, do you think you might be interested?" And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, what's the Wi-Fi password? Do I have any PTO days left? My monitor's acting up. 
Can you take a look? Are we off the Friday after Thanksgiving? Today's workplace is full of internal requests, many of which are asked over and over again. In our on-demand world, employees expect answers immediately, which leads to clogged inboxes, unresolved tickets, and major headaches for everyone. If this sounds familiar, you need Spoke. Spoke uses artificial intelligence to answer those repetitive questions you're so tired of answering, and machine learning helps the product get smarter with every use. For questions Spoke can't help with, like, my laptop isn't working, Spoke will automatically route the request to the right team and team member with all the details of the request. Spoke also lets employees make these requests wherever they're used to working, whether Slack, email, web browser, and even SMS. Say goodbye to those clunky ticketing systems your employees hate using, and hello to simple, human, and conversational request management. To see how Spoke can help, visit askspoke.com and book a demo today. That's askspoke.com. So, so now coming to Greylock, it's, it's like now that I look back, so I've been here three years now, over a little over three years. And um, I can tell you at the time when I was approached to possibly like look at this opportunity to work for them, to be honest, I was pretty skeptical because I'm like, here I am, I'm doing something where I'm working with like, you know, um, high growth startups, um, where I have like a, you know, a big influence on culture and building IT organizations. And, um, you know, here I am, like, if you contrast that with like maybe a Greylock, you're like, okay, look, it's a, it's a VC firm, a very well, well respected and amazing VC firm, but I'm like, they're not growing. You know, there's, let's say six, 60 to 50, uh, 60 to 70 people or so at the firm, three locations, but it's not like they're hiring, like it's kind of fixed. And yeah. so my concern was like, okay, technically, as I talked to some of the people there, I'm like, technically, you know, um, I could do this job. But would I be happy doing this? You know, being basically a really, I thought to myself, I'm going to be a glorified help desk person, which is fine. But I'm like, but that's not going to necessarily make me happy. I, that, that's a great question to ask yourself before taking any job. Absolutely. I mean, like, you, again, like check the boxes up about like the firm itself, right? I'm like, the people there are amazing, um, like, you know, well-respected, one of the top VCs in, you know, um, in the world, in my opinion. And uh, mm. like, there was no problem with that. But but again, like my day-to-day, I'm like, what am I going to, am I going to, be able to provide and, and uh, motivate myself like with the things that I've done I've done in the past, meaning like high growth, uh, modernizing IT, uh, building organizations that are amazing, um, you know, people centric. Um, and in a way, I, what ended up happening was I always associated a lot of the that that challenge with like growth, which is true. Like so, at a startup, you naturally have to get good at that because you're adding on people, and adding on people means either whether you're like adding on space, adding on like people applications. So you got to scale, mm-hmm. and that brings up huge challenges, like fun challenges for us. And I immediately understood, like, well, Greylock's not going to give me that. Um, but during some of the discussions early on, it became apparent that I said I think that I can modernize Greylock because there's some like challenges there that I want to be able to address. Like, mainly, I thought that like it was more seen as or technology was seen as operational okay and i was like we could change that like we could be operational but i think we could be a business partner for everybody internally and um really had some great challenges internally to kind of modernize and um but the other thing that really got me interested was this idea about like hey here i am like 20 or so years of experience and um a lot of times we're bringing on these companies and part of what Greylock does is we say like hey not only do we invest in you but we have an operational side that helps you know make the company successful. That's from like talent, executive talent, um, BD, and technology. Mm-hmm. I said if I could be included in that, where it makes sense, I think that I could be really helpful. And um, so, 
that that kind of sold me in a way that sold me and the fact that I told myself I'm somebody who is like, you know, I was really intrigued by it. And I thought like, you know, I'm going to take this chance. And it's there's a possibility that maybe I'm not going to like it after a year and then I'll cross that bridge. But like, yeah. I think it would have bugged me, you know, for the rest of my days if I, I turned it down and not at least try, like give it a shot and see what happens. It sounds like a very unique opportunity because you're you're double dipping, right? You're you're running IT at a shop, and I'm sure security is important, and you know, all the standard IT things. Yeah. Um, you'd expect at that scale, um, probably things that you'd expect even at a larger scale, but then also being able to actually advise on IT the partner companies. Yes, exactly. And as a matter of fact, what's really interesting about that is um, I now reflect on that and kind of like pinch myself because I'm it's it's such an amazing like for me what the way I describe it is like I still get to like build those modern IT um, operations and technology within within Greylock, but I also get to wear my startup hat where I build and help participate in in building. And um, I look back and I just realize like wow like I I could have only found this opportunity um, at this point in my life, right? I couldn't have yeah. done this ten years ago. Like you just, I just needed that experience, and so, you know, of, of having those six startups, and some of them, most of them, didn't work out. Some of them did, and um, just being part of understanding what it takes to build a successful startup, mm -hmm. um, you know, beyond technology, like the people and the culture and the visions and such like that. Um, it's amazing because now I get to call upon that experience when I'm talking to like companies that we're onboarding. Okay, so whether it's like a like a real like early stage investment for us where it's just a small team, it's great to be able to say like, hey, you know, I've been here, I've done that. How could I help advise you guys on whether it's like their product they're building, if it's like being sold into enterprise, um, or if it's just simply like, hey, we we need to open up our first office, or like, what what should we be thinking about when it comes to security? Um, those types of things. It's great to be able to like you know draw upon my experience, and then advise. So like a, an internal consultant kind of role. Right, right. And this one's different. What was, you know, what, what was pretty amazing for me is that the difference was when I was at the startups, I always had my phone at my side because something was always going on. Like, and yeah. typically for us, like if, if um, websites down, widgets can't be sh shipped, right? And so constantly looking at the phone. And that, that really changed for me when I moved over to the VC world because it's, if you think about it, it's not necessarily like they're shipping a widget or product or something like that. Um, so it took me a little while to kind of go like, wow, like this is kind of quiet and I kind of like it. And, um, but, uh, I, I, it's great because now what ends up happening is I, as I go and have the opportunity to talk to some of these new companies, you know, I get sense their energy or their sense their, you know, um, uh, not the, the, there's an energy around like, you know, keep it, keep things going, keep things running, kind of continue to scale. And, uh, you know, it's great in a way, I feel guilty, but I'll kind of advise and say, like, here's some things to think about, or here's a person you should talk to, or here's the technology you should be using. But in this case, I get to go like, great. And if you need help with that, I'll make introductions for you. But then I get to say, like, have a good day. And which was really different for me, because normally it was like me walking into a door at a startup. And they're like, let me tell you exactly what's broken or what we're doing. And it was really up to me. It was my responsibility to kind of get it done. So I'd roll up my sleeve. So it's a little different now. Yeah, you get to do the the strategic mm -hmm. but skip the operational right and i and but at the same time yes but i also would say like i really value like to me again i've said this many times that like 
it all the foundation to, in my opinion, for technology to be amazing is like operations has to be, you know, has to be operationally excellent. You have to like, that's the foundation. You have to know your shop. You, you have to make sure that um, things are running as smoothly as possible, you know, because if you do that right, then then you can move on to, you know, being innovative and doing, you know, things with the business itself. Yeah. I mean, the, the less fires you have, the more you can spend exactly. on real things. Exactly. Now... You know, you must have talked to tons of startups by now. What, I guess, would be both um, the most common advice and the most common problems that you see, um, you know, in these especially early stage companies? Mm -hmm. Good question. Um, I think that, and this is my own experience, but I think that what I... If I draw upon my experience of those past startups, a lot of time I would say like most more than half the time, a lot of times I would inherit things that um, would need to be ripped out, whether it's like physical networking or switching gear or um, applications. And um, I think that that was typically the cause of that was that the the right investments early within IT weren't made. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, and I understand it in a way. Like I don't. There's times I think that um, the founding teams and as teams grow. Um, what you typically see is this, is that they're like, we don't have IT right now. Uh, our CEO or one of the founders is kind of doing the IT, you know, air quotes. And then you'll say like, oh, but we have some engineers and some QA folks that are actually doing some of the the IT. And that's that's natural. And I think it's okay to a point. So like you're deputized, everybody's deputized and, and to be kind of IT. But it's hard for them to know, like there's a point where it's taking too much of their time. It's impacting one. It's impacting. They should be focusing on more important things, mm -hmm. and also the fact that um, they may be putting in technology that like is not scalable. It's not going to scale with them. So like, yeah, it's good for you guys when you're 25 people. Like, yeah, you know, um, you know, the air like airports. I used to see them all all the time, and they're like, ah, the wireless Ooh, is yeah. horrible, right? Yeah. And I'd say like, the moment you get over like 50 people and like you open up this space, it's, that's not what you want to be. You don't want to keep purchasing more of these things, right? Like as a simple example. Yeah, you see consumer grade gear where it should not be. Which is totally normal. And I, and I get that. And I think that like I recently wrote a blog um, where the audience was founders. And I kind of talked about here the technology you should start to think about early on. Like when is the right, what are the right investments? So one of them is around like knowing when to bring in somebody to go help at least consult you on like, you know, here's the investments you should be making in, in technology. Again, I would say like, look, wireless is key. Like, you, I mean, that seems to be like the lifeblood for any company. It's got to be reliable and fast. Without a doubt. You know, I always, I, I always bring it up to them saying like, you know, if, um, redundancy, like having redu redundant circuits and having an infrastructure that actually supports that because I'm like, yeah, you may be paying for two circuits with different media delivery, but it will pay off. Like if you ever have an event, um, I always bring up security and telling them like, hey, two-factor, you know, um, promote, uh, you know, companies that I believe in, like, like for example, Okta. I'll just mm -hmm. say like, hey, that's the right company to go with. They're great. Um, they'll solve a lot of the, the security problems you might have. Password management. Again, I think for, if I'm talking to like you or anybody out, you know, who's listening now, I think that's like, yeah, like we all know that that's so important, but I feel like I have an obligation to help some of these newer companies or new founders kind of make the right investments earlier on. And like my hope would be that one day as like some of these companies that we've invested in, when they get to about 100 people and they're bringing on an IT person into into the uh, the company, that hopefully they open up the like the closet and they look at the infrastructure and go like, holy cow, like this is great. Like, you know, all I have to do is kind of continue to nurture and add on to it versus like ripping things out. 
Yeah, not stepping into a dumpster fire. Yeah, which I've I've been that guy. You know, I, I, I've been that guy too. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure for our listeners, all of the the stuff you just said, the such a common playbook. But you know that engineer from QA may be very good at fixing his own MacBook, but doesn't have. 10 years of running enterprise Wi-Fi experience, right. you know, has never done redundant fiber, you know, at some point it's, it boils to experience, uh, experience from failure sometimes mm-hmm. like the really hard one experience. And I, I love the point you make of, you know, making the right investments early mm-hmm. because otherwise you're just wasting money and ripping stuff out as you grow. Right. Right. And even now, it's really, I would say that what's pretty amazing is that there's some pretty, like most of us would, I think there's some pretty solid investments that you could make. So I named a few already, but like, for example, like video conferencing, I'd say like, just do Zoom. Like, right. I mean, it's it's simple. People love it. Um, super reliable and it scales. Like, so that's an easy one. And like, as a matter of fact, that is one I always I tend to bring up with a lot of the, the new companies of just saying like, like, again, we, this is like knowledge that every IT person is like, of course. You set up like a Zoom room, make sure it's wired. A wired connection to that thing is absolutely essential. You can't do wi- wireless, which I've seen. Yeah. And a lot of times I'll walk in and uh, they're like, yeah, like, you know, the our Zoom is like shaky and it like, you know, jittery and it drops all the time. And it's just an easy like, oh, you know what? It just needs to be physically connected in because like, you know, um, you know, the uh, the video, uh, you know, video quality type of uh, or video conferencing, I should say, um, running over Wi-Fi is, is, is just not recommended. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that is uh, asking for trouble. Um, you know, there even sometimes there are larger orgs that don't have IT that you know kind of just grow organically. And um, I was speaking recently with uh, a friend of mine who's an IT consultant out on the East Coast, and he was brought in for about a hundred person uh, manufacturing company. And uh, first thing that he did was um, you know kind of like a you know, just a network audit. And they had one flat subnet, one flat VLAN with Windows 7 machines that were going out to hosted exchange. That that, re- that brings me back. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the thing that I told him should keep him up at night is that their actual production, their manufacturing operations, are run by Windows 98 and Windows XP machines that have not been patched. Yep that are sitting on that same VLAN, on that same subnet, that are connected to the internet. Right. And it, I mean, I've heard some, like, IT about-to-be-disaster stories. Yeah. And I cannot think of a better one. Oh, I mean, that just sounds like it's just, like, you know, gasoline, like, you know, uh, like, laying out on the floor, and you got matches kind of, like, just, like, right nearby. Yeah, and I think it's one of those, you know, the, the owner was like, oh, I know computers, and just kept on buying Ethernet switches and plugging stuff in. Right. And they got to that point 15 years later, and yeah, now all you need is that match. <laughs> right, exactly. That, that is pretty scary. So we got to talk a little bit about your advisory role, but tell me a little bit about, like, the IT operations role at a VC. How is it different than being at a normal startup? Mm, good question. So a couple of things come to mind, and one of them is that it's it's different from uh, the normal organizations that we all typically work on. I was used to where you actually have kind of that you know triangle of like get the CEO, get leadership, and then it builds upon that. Um, 
VCs, uh, it, it's different. You essentially have like, you know, 12, 13 partners and they're essentially kind of like somewhat like CEOs. And so, um, you know, that's just the model for, for a venture capitalist firm. And uh, that was one that I wasn't necessarily, I think I may have like done some small like consultant work for a, uh, a law firm. It was kind of similar to that. But, okay. but th- that, that's what I would say the big difference is, is instead of having like a single CEO, you got multiple CEOs in a way. Now, without getting into anything too proprietary, you know, for the next five years, next 10 years, what major IT trends do you see developing? Hmm. Um, like machine learning and AI, I think, are still being developed. And, and I think that, you know, really that's being kind of used in some of these IT support systems. And, and within IT, I think that... Um, there's many use cases, and I think that we're, they're just being developed. And I think that over the next few years, they're just going to mature even more. Um, I think that there's going to be um, uh, more accurate and, and better kind of input and output from like this mm-hmm. machine learning and AI. Um, and I think that what it's going to do is it. I, I'm I'm confident in like five years that what's going to end up happening is that, you know, I'm not sure what the percentage is, and I've heard different percentages, but I think it's going to be like over 50% of the kind of the tactical things that we all do day to day are going to be taken over by kind of AI. Um, uh, not taken over. When I when I say take over, I don't mean that in a negative light. I, I think that what I'm a big believer in saying, like, if there's things that I'm doing every day repetitively and I can have a system that does it, um, you know, uh, quicker than I do, and it just takes that 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 responsibility off my plate, to me, that provides me more time to kind of focus on the things that really matter and being able to be more innovative and working with the business. So I I think that um, I see that trend happening. I mean, some people, I think I've heard a number of like, you know, 70 to 90% of like, you know, your day-to-day tasks are to be, um, uh, you know, taken over by AI or machine learning. And it could be true. I think that's certainly a trend that that's going to happen in the next five years. Uh, I, I'm totally with you there. I mean, I think... AI is just the next automation, in mm-hmm. a sense. And, you know, even I, I remember back in the day that, you know, this exchange admin, when we were moving to uh, G Suite, was afraid that he was going to lose uh, his job. And instead, you know, we got him retrained to, to be cloud admin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, skill shift, technologies change, things get automated. But at the end of the day, if you can at least stay current, it doesn't matter how much gets abstracted away from you. It doesn't matter how much gets automated away from you because that does give you the opportunity for strategy as long as you actually utilize it. Right, and I think it's a mindset. Like I was saying earlier, like the things that I learned in my in my my long career is that um, things change and you got to kind of roll with that. And like, again, like there was times that I, you know, got certified in certain technologies. I was I felt like I was an expert. And then two years later, I wasn't. It was like obsolete suddenly, mm-hmm. and I think it's a skill set that it's super important for technologists to kind of be willing to know that things change, um, don't get stressed about it, and then being able to um, be excited about always learning. Like in life, people tell you like can always learn. Like our jobs require it if you really want to be successful. Like things change constantly, and so being able to uh, accept that. And embrace it and to say, like, cool, like, I want to learn something new. There's, there's always something new to learn. Um, and, and that's that's exactly why this technology has that. It's going to happen. And I think that you just got to be pre- prepared to find out, great, if, if I'm not doing that, what are the new technologies? What are the new business systems and, and services that, that I could suddenly start to look into and get more familiar with? There, there, there will always be that that 
small, small subgroup that will be a COBOL pro programmer for the rest <laughs> of their life. Right. Or, you know, that there there will be those folks that stick with legacy and, you know, legacy will still be needed in certain places for certain reasons. But totally agree. I, I would say the majority of our field, you know, has to do what you just said of stay up to date, you know, keep on getting certified and learning, staying with the curve yep. and not being afraid of change. Right. I mean, that's the one thing that drew me to this profession to begin with is just the continuous change. Right. Opportunity to learn. Right. Yeah. Um, one thing that just came to mind as you're talking about like new technology. So I talked about like, uh, again, uh, machine learning and AI. Um, I think another area that's going to be pretty interesting is going to be kind of this idea around self uh, self healing. Um, you get um, self healing networks and applications. I see that happening as well. So like here's a scenario that we're all probably used to. Um, somebody's walking them around the office and as they're walking, you know, their machine kind of moves from one AP to the other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, typically what ends up happening is that like they get suddenly get poor performance. And sometimes it'll be like, hey, we've somehow noticed that you're on the 2.4 uh, gigahertz versus the five or something like that. But by the time they report that into us and we see that, you know, it's already been kind of done or they already know, like, shoot, like, let me go ahead and just restart my Wi-Fi and, and do that. You know, if if we all look back inside of our logs, it'll tell us. You see the sequence of events happening. Now, now thinking about machine learning AI, apply it to that and just say like, hey, look at these conditions if they happen, then do the following. I think that that's going to be something that we're. I think that we're going to start to see more, where that suddenly like these things that are um, hidden within the you know sea of logs are going to be able to be quickly pulled out from some of these. Uh, uh, machine learning and AI um, systems, and then they're going to be able to self-correct it and then just notify us. Yeah, I mean, I, I happen to be a big believer in AI, especially for the things that happen too quickly for a human to, to actually notice or have to just be monitored too often for a human to notice. Mm -hmm. um, that as long as it's trained correctly, that, you know, Wi-Fi roaming scenario you just gave, no one wants to sit and look at those logs all day. Right. But an AI can, no problem. Um, but uh, what I hear from some IT leaders is just a little bit of, uh, I think I would call it suspicion and lack of trust. Totally. That they, they just don't understand 100% how it works. Right. And so because of that, they can't trust it. It's interesting. I was talking to a couple of companies and, and um, around, they're trying to build services similar to what we're talking about. And my suggestion to them was this. Because based on kind of that, those concerns, is I have that same concern, and for me, I was like, what I'd be comfortable with is that like we worked in stages. Like if we're dancing, let's like you know let's slow dance here for a second. Let's figure this out. And, and the way that gets applied is like, what if the system actually starts to tell me and say like, hey, here's what I've I've noticed. Would you like me to fix it, right? And then based on your response, yes and yes, it starts to learn and build a profile about like what things it's confident in uh, like correcting, right? Mm -hmm. And so imagine you could create the profile and say, hey, when this this event happens and this you system has 80% um, confidence that you're right, then do it. And when you do it, let me know. Send me another email saying, like, here's what I've done. And here's another button that says, like, undo, if possible, like, so to allow you to do that. I think that there needs to be this trust built within the systems and the IT um resources like managing the systems because i think that over time you start to build that trust and you know um you know one gain the confidence of like when what the system can change and when it can change it um because i'm certain there's gonna be other um, applications where you would say you never make a change you could suggest a change to me but never do it on your own that does bring up a very interesting point of 
you know, how much power do we grant to AI? Do, mm -hmm. do we grant it just monitoring or do we give it root and just hope for the best? Yeah, not, I, definitely not root. That's for sure. Um, you know, because, you know, we're talking like, you know, Sky, Skynet and stuff. <laughs> um, I do believe that um, it'll take over some of these repetitive tasks that we do or some of these like self-correcting things that we just don't necessarily have knowledge that it's actually happening. And then by the time we respond, it's gone. Um, I think that there's, again, it's going to be a percentage of those things that it's able to do, but an, another large portion of that, it's going to still be under our control to like click commit or yes and allow it to happen. Yeah. I think one of the, the big things that people don't understand about AI is understanding both, you know, the training and the confidence of the model. And then also just knowing the, the limitations yep. of, you know, I, I know, I vividly remember the first time that I got in a Tesla and turned on autopilot and, you know, my hands would go off the wheel for a quarter second and then a half second and then one second. And it took me a little while to learn what, you know, it's normal boundary conditions were. Um, and it took me literally days to learn to, to actually trust it within its normal boundary conditions. And to also know that, you know, I still need to be ready to take over. And that 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 one thing, I think, unfortunately, Tesla does not do a, like a great job communicating, even calling it autopilot to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm, I happen to be a big fan of the company, but, you know, the expectations of anyone using AI have to be set accurately because if you forget about it and let it let it go out of its boundary conditions mm -hmm. that I think is when bad things happen yeah and so you know to our listeners who are afraid of AI I would say don't be afraid of AI but learn it mm -hmm. you know learn how it learns learn its confidence and its accuracy learn its boundaries and totally. learn where you can give it trust yep and where it shouldn't get trust yeah and, and if you I mean again just outside of technology we tend to be afraid of things that we don't understand. Exactly. I mean, and so like, it's just, it's imperative for us to say, don't understand it. How can I learn more about it so that I'm not so intimidated or scared of it? Awesome. Well, um, you know, Manuel, thank you so much for joining us. I, I hope the listeners got to know you a little bit better, uh, even though we went on a tangent for a little while later on, but uh, I, I happen to really enjoy it. And um, for anyone that's listening, um, you know, if you'd like to be on the podcast, if you go to itkit.io, and then go to, I believe it's interviews up top. Uh, down at the bottom, you can shoot us an email and we'll put you on the list. And we would love to have you on the podcast.